Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Happy Sunday. Good morning. It's good to see you. Man, I love Wiley Cortez, Wiley and Rachel. Wiley, I feel like you and I are kind of like twins, man. It's just, you know, I get that a lot. Yeah, people are like, are you Wiley Cortez? I'm like, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> Wait, can you lay off the protein, man? <laughs> God, you're a good-looking man. Well, hey, are you doing well? Happy autumn. We're in it, aren't we? It's so good. I love fall days. Um, it's beautiful. Seattle has probably one of the best falls. We've lived a bunch of places, huh, sis? Chicago, Baltimore, Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't get fall. It's just hot, humid, but yeah, it's wonderful. I hope that you're getting some time to enjoy the famous. Can I just say, uh, first of all, thanks for coming to church. Uh, I've said it before, but you're a revolutionary. <laughs> and days like these, the fact that you're here makes you revolutionary. And so we're glad that you would take the time to join us right now, just twice a month. And uh, please know, we want to meet more and we will kind of as phases lift in Washington State and restrictions and stuff. And uh, But just so you know, it's always kind of been the plan of 116 Church. I don't know if I've told, I know we said this at interest meetings and maybe we've told some leaders, but um, I kind of love the vibe of having a Sunday off. <laughs> so not that we're on. I love this too. But I mean, man, last week we, we spent Sunday in Cabo and I, that was church. So I mean, I know this is church, but that was church. <laughs> On the ocean, I felt Jesus like I never felt him. Um, but you know, when we when we do finally start meeting regular, whenever we're able to, as soon as we can, we're always going to take the last Sunday of every month, and we're we're not going to have church. So you should have cheered. You didn't. I don't care. <laughs> I've been doing this for 24 years, and we've just made a decision on that Sunday. We're going to go to brunch. We're going to play golf because I feel like that's church. And then on that week. The Wednesday of, okay, there they are. There's a few of them. Watch football. All right, the fellas. Um, and then um, on the Wednesday of that week, we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have Wednesday night church. So we'll still have church that week, but it'll be on a Wednesday night. It'll be a different vibe. be kind of cool. We probably should have food. So it's just dreaming. We'll get there. God's with us. Hey, if you haven't been to church yet in the pandemic, let me be your, let me be your host through the pandemic of how we do church. Kind of, kind of what we'd ask you to do and so that we can keep good relationships with the Hilton, who we love. They've been so good to us is um, when you come into the building or when you're walking around or if you're in any of the common areas or walking around the room when you're up and walking, if you don't mind putting a mask on, trust me, I'm not a huge mask fan, but I do care for people. I know you do too. And so for us to kind of abide by the rules, there's a lot of battles we can fight in life. That's probably not one I'm going to jump in on. I just personal for me. I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hills that I might be willing to die on. The mask thing isn't that yet for me. So, but what we're asking is, but when you get to your seat, where you're at, and when you're standing, when you're at your place, you don't have to wear a mask. So you're certainly welcome to, if it makes you feel better. There's no, we totally can do that, but you don't have to. That's not our rules. That's the Hilton's rules. And that's kind of the, so that's how we do that. And chairs, it's musical chairs. So you'll notice chairs are kind of socially distanced. You can move them to one or two or three or if you want to put 10 together, we're okay with that. So you can kind of do that. And that's church in the pandemic. And I'll be your captain. <laughs> Sound good? <laughs> All right. Turn to someone and say, you look better than I remember. <laughs> that always makes me feel good. I just, it's like the best compliment in the world. Hey, you look better than I remember. Because I feel like when people say you look like you've lost weight, I feel like that they don't mean that. That's just what you say. Like, have you lost weight? <laughs> no, I've gained 20 pounds, man. Relax. But you look better than I remember is just a really good one. All right, we're going to take, we'll take about 30 minutes or so. I'm going to read from the Bible, and then we'll stand again, and, and Jay and um, the team will join us, and we'll worship. 
and we'll sing some more, and then uh, and then we'll get out of here. And there's a great place. I think they have a breakfast place upstairs. I'm not 100% sure. You're in Bellevue, so there's so many places to go get lunch or brunch. And then uh, the Seahawks play tonight, huh? Come on. Could this day get any better? I propose it. It cannot. All right. Go with me if you have a Bible to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Oh, man. I, I got a tan last week in Cabo. It's the first time I've been tan in October for God knows how long. So it felt good. I really, it was a burn. I got fried. I didn't realize how hot the sun was the first day. Wiley, I just got scorched. <laughs> And so I stayed under shade the rest of the week. And the tan, this, is, this was all in one day. This was five hours in the Cabo Sun. And then it went away. So, all right. I'm going to read two places, all in the, in the book of Luke. Uh, excited about this this morning. I think this is, well, I think every time it's going to be good. But I think this is going to be really good. And so um, this is Jesus. And he, uh, this is whole passage in the Bible. It's called The Road to Emmaus. And if you remember, um, Jesus had died. And disciples, his followers were kind of losing themselves. They thought this is not how it was supposed to happen. Jesus was supposed to like come and reign. And so these two disciples, the Bible doesn't tell us who they were. It says two of them were walking on the road to Mace and Jesus joins them. Um, and so, and then he kind of like reveals himself. So I'm going to pick it up right there. I'm going to be Luke chapter 24 and let's start in verse 30. And then I'll leave it ambiguous and then we'll, we'll connect all the pieces, okay? When he was at the table with them, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, us, opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon Peter. Then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how he had was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In verse 36, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And Jesus said, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? What a great question for 2020, huh? Why? It's like a little too close to home, Jesus. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I can't answer for you, and I, I wouldn't propose to answer for all of the disciples in the room, but I think I could possibly answer for a guy named Peter. Um, go with me back now, one chapter or two chapters, chapter 22. Um, I'm going to read Peter, just a few days before this, had promised Jesus that he would go to his death for Jesus. And then Jesus said, no, you won't. You'll deny me three times. And Peter said, I would rather die than deny you three times. And then Peter, if you know the Bible, he denies Jesus three times. And then the rooster crows, which is like the death toll, kind of signifying that Jesus was right. And I want to read that passage because if there's anyone who was troubled or had reason to doubt, I think Peter might have reason to doubt. So here's Peter, uh, chapter 22, we'll start in verse 60. But Peter, this is his last denial, said, I do not know what you're talking about. I do not know Jesus. And immediately while he was still speaking, still denying Christ, the rooster crowed. Now catch this. No other gospel says this, but I love verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, could you imagine that moment? You just deny your Savior. And as you do it, a rooster crows ominously in the background. And God from across the courtyard goes, Whoo. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what just happened to him. So to go back to the original question, why are your hearts troubled? Why do you doubt? I think for Pete, it's pretty clear. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter failed really, really bad. And he remembers it. And Jesus asked, why are you troubled? And why is there doubt in your hearts? I'd like to title this talk for the next, for the next 30 minutes or so. I still talk to Jesus. I still talk to Jesus. Can we pray? God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, thank you that we can gather. Uh, maybe we used to six months ago take that for granted, but we certainly do not anymore. Thank you for the opportunity to get together and sing and worship and be in community and go to your word. Now, I pray that you would speak to us as only you can. Speak to our hearts. Thank you for your word that reads us as we read it. Lord, you know every detail of all of our lives in this very moment. God, I thank you that you're the answer. You're the solution. You give us hope. You give us peace. And we trust you in it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, you ever feel like you know? You know what I mean? Like, like you just know. Like you know the answer. You know the best way to do something. You know the right decision. You know, like you know, but people don't know that you know. But you know, and they're like, you're like, I wish you knew how much I know. Like, you know, you just know. You ever feel that way? Like, I find myself, and maybe this is bad, in that scenario a lot where I'm like, you don't know, but I know. And you don't know that I know, but you need to know that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And perhaps the most frustrating thing in the whole world is when you know, and someone who thinks they know is telling you other than what you know. You know what I'm saying? It's so frustrating. You're like, oh, this happens so much. Um, I don't know if it's because I just know a lot or I think I know a lot. I haven't decided which, one I'm, which category I'm in. I remember once my sister-in-law, whom I love very much, you'll probably hear this, so I need to say that, Jessica, who's my sister-in-law. It's my wife's sister. Interesting fact, if you don't know this about our family, I married Jennifer, um, and she is the oldest of sisters, and then my older brother married her younger sister. So in most states it's illegal, but in Georgia, <laughs> kind of let you do whatever you want. <laughs> So you can do the math on that. So I told my brother on the day he was getting married before I punched him in the throat, I said, you just made my wife my sister-in-law. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so you can tell the authorities. It's all cool. Um, anyways, Jessica, I love her so much, my sister-in-law. And uh, I was once eating some bread. And I was like, oh, man, I love this focaccia bread. And she goes, you mean focaccia? And I mean, Italian bread, you know that bread? And I'm like, no, it's focaccia. Like, I mean, I'm Italian. Don't mess with me. I understand. This is focaccia bread. And she's like, <laughs> whatever, it's focaccia. I'm like, no, it's not. I know. First of all, I'm Italian. I eat this bread more than any human ever should, okay? This is pronounced focaccia. And if I was going to do it in my time, I was like, eh, focaccia. You know what I'm saying? And she insists, just adamantly, in her ignorance, She's like, no, it's called focaccia. I'm like, no, that's what Americans say, but us Italianos, we call it focaccia. You know what I'm saying? And so this goes on, I'm not kidding you, probably two months. It'd be off and on, just we'd be eating around, and I'd be eating some bread. She's like, oh, how's your focaccia? I'm like, you know what? Get behind me, Satan. It's focaccia. And I'm sorry that you don't know, but I know. And true story, I kid you not. We go on a trip, my wife and Jessica and a few team, and we lead a team of interns to Rome, Italy. And we go into a restaurant during this mission trip, and we sit down, a local restaurant, and the gentleman who is serving us is a local 
from Italy, was born and raised in Rome. And he walks over to the table and he puts down a bread, a basket of bread. And Jessica sitting right next to me, like, hold on. I'm like, excuse me, sir. What is this? <laughs> and he motions to the bread basket and he's like, this? I'm like, yeah, what is this? He's like, that's focaccia. <laughs> and I just lean back and I'm like, I mean, just the satisfaction. Oh, it's so glorious. And I was like, I'm sorry, could you say it again? <laughs> like a little louder? He's like, this is focaccia. It's focaccia. And I look at her, and I'm just beaming. And I'm like, like so vindicated. And I, I kid you not, he walks away, and she's like, he's pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> True story. She wasn't kidding. I lost my mind <laughs> way, way more than I should have. Like, I'm so angry. I'm like, he was born in this city, you know. And, for, and it just bothered me so much that I knew and that she didn't know. And I think that's, that's something real. Like we, but it could be on the other side, too. You ever think you know? only to find out that you actually didn't know. I've also been on that more often than I like. Like, I think I know. I'm just as confident as I was with the focaccia bread, right? I think I know, but only, only to find out after, like, truth is revealed, like, I didn't actually know. I just thought I know. I remember once, Jen and I moved into the towers, uh, and right here in downtown Bellevue, we always kind of wanted to do that and give it a go. We'd always lived in, like, a, a single-family home, so we decided, let's try the towers. Let's live in the condo life. So we did this years ago got into this thing, and I remember her asking me, like, hey, have you read through the contract? Do you know everything? I'm like, babe, okay, I deal with contracts all the time, all right? You just do what you do, and I'll do what I do. I know what I'm doing here, so I sign all the contracts. She's like, I just want to make sure you read all the fine print. Babe, please, I know what I'm doing. Two weeks in, <laughs> we get an email, and the person that's renting the condo to us, the, the company, they're like, hey, we'd like to show your condo. You know, in, in three days, we let us know when. And I'm like, why would you show my condo? I just signed a year lease. And like, oh, it's in the fine print that if we get a buyer, we have three days to show it and we can sell it within 30 days. <laughs> and Jen's like, I thought you knew. I'm like, woman, just relax for a second. I'll handle it. So I call them and I do my thing. It doesn't matter. And it's literally, I signed it in blood. And so they're like, but don't worry. They probably won't buy it. Get a call the next day. And that's what I tell Jen. I'm like, babe, don't worry. No one's going to buy this condo. It's very expensive. It's a bad season to buy condos. The next day, they're like, they want it. You got to move out in 30 days, right? Jen's so upset. I'm so upset. And I'm just, I'm having this moment. I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, I just moved in. And I got to move out. I don't know where I'm going to move. And she says this. She's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that God gives us the penthouse of this building and they only charge us $100 more. That's what I'm going to pray. To which I respond, woman, that is ridiculous. First of all, the penthouse is bigger, twice as big as what we live in. I was like, you know what penthouses go for? You don't know, but I know because I'm a, I'm a very intelligent man. And that penthouse would be double what we're paying right now. And they don't just give away penthouses. Businesses aren't in the business of giving away. They're in it for money. And I like go through my whole spiel. She's like, I know what I know. I'm praying that God does it for us. I'm like, well, you can know what you know, but I'm going to deal in the, the reality of right now. And so we have this whole like, kind of thing. And she's like, I'm going I'm to email them and ask them. I'm like, you will not because it's insulting and we'll look like children. <laughs> you know, like, and so we go to bed. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to email them. And so we go to bed, wake up the next morning. We get an email. Now, I'm not even making this up. In the email, like, hey, we're so sorry for the confusion and the contract. You guys are great tenants. Here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to offer you our penthouse unit. And we'll only charge you $100 more a month, and we'll pay to have you moved. <laughs> and Jen just kind of sits there and is like, oh, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it was so good to be wrong that time, though. I felt great about being wrong on that one. When I read 
this, this, this passage, if you read the passage of the road to Emmaus, it's interesting. Here's how it starts out. Two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and the Bible says Jesus joins them, but they don't know it's Jesus. They, they can't recognize him. Their eyes can't see that. And instantly, they begin to explain to Jesus what happened to Jesus. They start telling God everything about God, not realizing that they're actually talking to God. And it's funny because Jesus is like, oh, please go further. Like, what happened, you know? And so they begin to, it takes, if you read in the very first part of chapter 24, it takes them, I don't know, maybe what, two minutes, and they tell them everything they know about God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of informed God about what's going on as if God didn't know what's going on? So guilty of that, especially in 2020. Like, all right, God, I don't know if you're aware, <laughs> you know, but they're making us wear masks everywhere. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, have you ever, I mean, so, so many times, because I can't wrap my mind around it, I'll go to my prayer space or I'll be talking to God, and I'm just kind of like complaining to God, telling God everything that's going on as if God didn't already know exactly what's going on. So these, these two men, they begin to explain to Jesus what happened to Jesus on the cross? Like, haven't you heard? Like, are you the only person who doesn't know? He was crucified. We're all, everything's changed. I mean, God is dead. And Jesus is listening, listening, listening. And then he doesn't take it personal that they're trying to explain to him. Because here's the thing. They think they know. They think they know what's happening. And in their mind, it's a terrible catastrophe. And God is dead. And all their plans are out the window. Sound familiar, by the way? All their plans have changed. And so they're explaining to God, and Jesus simply says, hold up. And if you read chapter 24, he begins to explain to them. Doesn't take it personal. He just starts talking. Go to um, chapter 24, verse 27. Here's what it says. When it, be, when it says that Jesus begins to, I think it's verse 27. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So Jesus lets them talk for their two minutes on this seven-mile hike. And this is, then Jesus says, and beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. And that's a lot, by the way. In fact, they will walk seven miles, and Jesus will the entire time talk to them and show them him in scripture. So Jesus, and which I think finally these two disciples, it's like they learned. They said what they were saying. In the very beginning, and then they learned, like, you know what? Maybe we should just let Jesus do most of the talking. Because maybe he actually really knows. And they didn't even know it was Jesus, but they could tell this man knew. And I think that's just, practically speaking, like, the art of good conversation. This will be bonus material real quick. Before we talk about talking to God and talking to Jesus. The art of good conversation is to listen more than you speak. Did you know that? Okay, you're welcome. So if you're ever at a party and you're having a conversation, do your best. Play a little game. Do your best to see if you can get the other person talking about themselves or their life or their interests more than you talk about yourself. I promise you, if you say four words and they say 5,000, they're going to walk away and be like, dude, that was such a good conversation. <laughs> okay? That's just a fact. That is the art of good conversation because we're all inherently selfish it's not bad well it probably is bad but it's not going to change we're humans so we want to talk about ourselves we want to tell you what's going on in our lives and we want you to be like that is fascinating you know what i'm saying and if you don't find it fascinating find something fascinating about it so that you're not lying like it's fascinating that you're so self-absorbed you know what i'm saying 
But that's good conversation. That's, that makes for, people will always want you in the room. If you, if you listen more and speak less, learn to hear instead of sharing so much. Try, try thinking about what's being said instead of thinking about what you're going to say. You know what I'm saying? This is what we do. This is the art of good conversation. How much more with God? How much more should we come to God? Like, all right, God. Bam, 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 bam. And then, listen. How many times do I go to God and just hit him with my petitions and my complaints and this and that? And, oh, oh, and, I, and I pray and I pray and I pray. And then I just go on with my life. As if it's like, it's like I presented this problem before God. And then I don't take time, take a moment to listen. Pay attention to if God might actually say something. Okay, now let's get real practical because you're like, hold on. Like, what do you mean God's talked to you? And that's a pet peeve of mine. I'm not going to lie. When pastors, ministers get up and I was like, I was talking to God last night. And he said to me, <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, okay. I, I, I believe, I've never personally heard the audible voice of God. I know it happens. But I, speaking to God seems like so ethereal. So like, how do we talk to God? Can I just be real, real practical real quick? Because we're talking about a conversation with God, which changed these men's lives, by the way. And change the course of history. And when you're with God, sure, good conversation to say a thing or two. But then listen to God. How does God speak? So I'm going to be real practical for you. Maybe this will help you. It's changed my life. First of all, God speaks multiple ways. One of the ways God speaks is through the Bible. He wrote a book. You should read it more often. It's a bestseller. <laughs> it's doing really well. God speaks through Scripture. And I'm not even, I'm not even opposed. Like sometimes I'll be like, all right, God, and I'll, and I'll pray, like, and I have a question, like, what are we doing down here? What am I supposed to do in 2020? I'm not even opposed to this. I've done this sometimes, and I just. Okay, that's about scabs and sacrificing goats. That's not it. <laughs> you know, but sometimes, sometimes, boom, it just blows up. You're like, what? He's talking right to me. The Bible. Like, if you're actually looking, like, I need to hear from God. Well, start here. It actually, literally will give you. I once said to someone, there's no handbook about parenting. I'm like, oh, hold up. Actually, there is. It's called the Bible. Like, if you read that, you're still going to have to have a couple dry runs. But this will give you a guide to everything in life. So how does God speak? Well, first of all, he speaks through his word. You could read this, and God could actually answer your question about God. How am I going to get a job in 2020? I bet you the answer is in here. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you. You know how else he speaks? Through other people. That's why I love church. That's why I love getting together. If you ever someone just walk up to you and be like, hey, man, I don't know what you're going through. I just kind of feel this for you. Like God said, cast your net on the other side. I don't know. Scripture verse. Peace. And then you're like, oh, and you like fall to your knees. He's like, I asked God, what should I do? You know, whatever. And you're a fisherman. You know, and it's like, oh, it's so profound. How many times has God spoke to me through other people? My wife a lot of times, she just call her God. I feel like he's always telling her stuff. I'm like, could you just talk to me directly? But she's like, God wanted me to tell you. And I'm like, okay, thanks, babe. How many times? My children. God has spoken to me through my children before. I'll never forget once Jen and I were having a, a discussion. We'll call it that. Uh, a passionate talk in the kitchen. And my son, Caleb, or Jude, I can't remember which one it was. They were, I think they were 15 at the time. And just kind of walked in, kind of heard it. Things were getting a little, we do our best not to fight in front of the kids, but we were, we were kind of, she was pushing my buttons, and I was pushing her buttons, and Judy goes, Dad, ah, you love mom, don't you? <laughs> I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, 
<laughs> like, wow. All right, I hear you loud and clear. I'm like, I, I do love her, and I shouldn't talk that way. You know, like, it's amazing how God will speak to us. You know how God speaks to us? Through circumstances. Sometimes you just pray, like, God, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to show me the way. Do you remember that verse in the Bible that says, he, we make our plans, we take our steps, but God directs our steps. He directs our paths. So a lot of times when you're praying, circumstances will just unfold. Like, Lord, I don't, what should I do? All of a sudden, boom. And you're like, oh, okay. You know what else he speaks to? I mean, God speaks all the time. Open doors and closed doors. Like, you're God, I, just, I need a sign. I need a sign. Boom. And all of a sudden, the door opens. Well, oh, I, I, I guess I'll just walk through that because I was praying and I was talking to God. And then he just opened the door. You know what I love even more than open doors? I got to be honest. It's closed doors. I love it. Now, I did it when I was 20 and 30, but now that I'm in my 40s, when God slams a door, I'm like, I literally am like, thank you. I mean, after I like brush off, you know, the pain of it all. Woof. But then I'm like, thank you, because who knows what was behind door number two? God just saved me from a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of, I would much rather be in the purposes of God and the plans of God. God speaks. Do you know how else he speaks? Isaiah tells us that he speaks in a still small voice. Isaiah 30 says this. It's like, you'll hear a voice behind you, and it will say, go this way and that way. Now, this is where some people can get kind of spooky. And get spooky if you want. I won't. Um, God speaks through a still small voice. You're like, what is that? Is it a whisper? Does it sound like this? I think if it had a sound, it'd probably be a British accent. <laughs> you know, I just, when God speaks, this definitely is a British woman. <laughs> no, I just love that. <laughs> That's not Bible. I don't, I don't think that, but I, in my mind, that's how it would probably come out. It's a still, small voice. It's like a thought that doesn't originate from you. Um, how do I know when God's speaking to me? Many times, the thought that comes in my head is a thought I would never think. Like if someone betrays me and hurts me, and this random thought says, love them, forgive them. I'm like, that is the devil. <laughs> nope, that's God. Because my thought would be like, bide your time and hit them when they least expect it. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are my thoughts. God's thought, and it's always hope, hopeful. It's always peaceful, always brings peace, and it never contradicts the Bible. God's never going to tell you to do anything that contradicts his own word. So if you feel like God's telling you it's okay to cheat on your taxes, that ain't God. If God says pay all your taxes and watch me provide more than you could ever imagine or hope for, and you have peace. You're like, oh, that's clearly God. God is speaking. Here's the thing. God is always saying something. We're just not always paying attention. When's the last time you prayed to God, asked God, and then stopped, waited, and paid attention? I'm telling you what, it'll change your life. It will literally change your life. Here's what happens to these men. Let's recap. They're on the road to Emmaus. Jesus shows up. They don't know what it is. They tell him everything they know. It takes about five minutes. And then they listen to him talk for seven miles. And at the end of listening to Jesus and paying attention to Jesus, the Bible says they sit down and their eyes were opened. You know what happens when we spend time with God, when we listen to God, when we pay attention to what God is doing in 2020? All of a sudden, perspective, divine perspective takes place. Everything changes for these men, although nothing actually changes. Like their circumstances, nothing changed. But their perspective on what had happened completely changed. Think about it. Up to this moment, they're like, Jesus is dead. The savior of the universe was tortured and murdered, and we are all in trouble. We are, people are hunting us. We're public enemy number one. That was their perspective. Nothing changes. They just talk to God, 
They do more listening than they do talking and complaining. It's okay to do a little, but then they listen. And all of a sudden they get a perspective from heaven. And now it is the greatest victory in the history of the world. God is alive. Nothing actually physically changed in the circumstances. They just saw it different. The way they saw things changed. That's what happens when we spend time with God. Just because you come to the end of the road does not mean you've come to the end of your story. I'm going to say that in 2020. Just because we have come to the end of the road does not mean that it's the end of the story. How often do we take the end of a road as the end of it all? I just refuse to believe that. You ever been driving and you're in the merge lane and the car in front of you, like you know when you merge, I'm going to do my best not to get very angry on this stage right now. You're supposed to speed up and just merge in, just like a normal human being, but the car in front of you slows and slows and you're like merge, merge, and they come to a dead stop. Have you ever been there? Which is very dangerous and can cause everyone behind you to crash, like you're supposed to merge, but they stop. It's almost like they thought, the road's ended, so I must stop. Can I just say to you, even though the road may be ending, don't stop. Just change lanes. Just change lanes. Just change lanes. This is not the end of the story. 2020, I promise you. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next two months of 2020 because that is who knows, right? But I can tell you this. It is not the end of the story. Maybe the end of a couple roads, but it is not the end of the story. Just change lanes. Keep going in the same direction. Maybe, maybe the way you were going on the road you're on, maybe that shifts, maybe that changes, but you can keep going. And I, can I just say this? I heard this stat this week, and it, and, it, and it troubled me, but I also it kind of made me righteously indignant. I heard a stat that more churches have closed their doors permanently and more pastors have resigned from ministry in 2020 than any other year in the history of America. Now, stats are 50% accurate or not, but let's just say it's close to that. And I just said, I refuse. We are the church. And I refuse to think that the end of the road is the end of the story. I refuse to believe it for church. I refuse to believe it for our lives personally. Just change lanes. You say, how? perspective. When's the last time you talked to Jesus and listened? Man, I've talked to Jesus a lot. I've gotten pretty vocal with Jesus over the course of my 44 years. Oh, that's hard. It's been 43. This is the first time I said I'm 44. Uh, that kind of hurt. It's all right. I'll get over it. 44 years. <laughs> getting old. A lot of times I've just told him what I feel, told him how, what's going on. It wasn't until maybe later on in life that I just began to, you know what? I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to stop and see what Jesus might, might say. I hope that you catch me, and I hope that you hear this this morning. This is not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. It may feel like it. It certainly did to these two men walking on the road to Emmaus. But Jesus spoke, and then he turned them around. It's interesting. They were going to Emmaus. After they got perspective from God, they went back to Bethany. And then from Bethany... Jesus would meet them there again because Jesus will always meet you where he sends you. You're never going by yourself. He meets them in Bethany, reveals himself to them all, and then he gives them the great commission. You've heard about that in the Bible where he sends them to the ends of the earth to say it was so much bigger than you even thought. They were coming to the end of the road thinking we're done, and God's like, you have no idea. It's only just begun. Wait till you see what I will do. 
That's what God does. And the only thing that shifts that for us is divine perspective. The only way we get that is talk with Jesus. So Jesus shows up to all the disciples, the 11, after he's on the road to Emmaus, because they're having a hard time still believing that Jesus is risen. So it says in there, too, it says Peter, they say Peter, Jesus appeared to Peter. Somewhere it just says that. And so Peter has told them, hey, Jesus is alive. These two men show up, and they're like, Jesus is alive. And it says they still have a hard time believing it. Not to mention the women. The women told them. that They were the first ones, in fact, to tell them that Jesus was alive. Do you know, and I don't think this is a coincidence, do you know that when God announced his coming to the earth as a baby, you know who he told first? A woman. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know who the angels told first? A woman. I don't think it's coincidence, honestly. Ladies, can I just be honest with you? And I, I want to remind you, there is something inside of you that believes when people won't believe. You have something. That's why Jesus chose women. It's not, I once said it because if you tell a woman the story, you'll get out real quick. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think it's because... Because <laughs> it turns into an insult. That might be true, but it's, I love that about you. Um... It's because you believe when others won't. We were doing a wedding with some friends recently here in Mexico, and I remember my exhortation to the young couple. I was like, here's the key to happy marriage. After 24 years, this, it's in Ephesians 5. It says, husbands, love your wife. Wives, love your husband. Read Ephesians 5. It tells the husband to do it twice as often as it tells the wife. You know why? Because for women, they're like, let's do it. Let's roll. I'm in. I'm telling you. There's something in, ladies, you find a way. And can I just remind some of you that that's actually God-given in you? You find a way. You believe when others don't believe. You find a way. Paul was cursed with a thorn in his side. And he said, for three days I prayed. And then I said, it must be God. And I'm not mocking Paul. I am a little bit, but I'm not really. Then there was the woman with the issue of blood. She had it for 12 years. And when Jesus showed up, she's like, if I just touch him, I know I'll be healed. Like, talk about that. Paul's like, three days. Guess I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. <laughs> Woman, 12 years. She's like, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And she was healed. There is something inside of a woman. God put it in you. And in fact, ladies, if I could just say on behalf of all the men, we need that in you. We need that. Because you believe when others don't. You keep finding a way when other people won't. Look at it. Go to first. Um, Go to chapter 24, verse 1. Even if you can't get there, here's what it says. The beginning of this chapter, it says, The day after Jesus died, on the first day, the lady showed up. And it said, not at dawn, at early dawn, before the sun had even risen. And it said, they came prepared. That's what women do. Like, they are ready to go right now. Can I remind you again that God put that inside of you? Wow. Now, I just want to apologize on behalf of some of the Christian culture. And now I'm on a soapbox, but I'm just going to stand on it because it feels right. That has somehow bought into the misconception, the diabolical lie that women can't teach men. Um, they've been teaching us our whole life. Hashtag thanks, mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we talking about? At what point can a woman not teach a man about Jesus and hope and life? You won't find it in Scripture. If you twist it, then you could find it. There is something in every single woman that I'm telling you as a man, as humanity, we need it. There is a reason the angel showed up to women and said, here is the truth. There's also a reason that these men didn't believe. In fact, if you read in Luke 24, they, they thought when the women told them Jesus is alive, they thought it was idle talk. And then Jesus shows up just to be like, hey, 
I always have to come to the men. I always have to appear to you in person and show you. Guys, it's okay. It's kind of our thing. It's why labor and birth has not been given to us. <laughs> because if it were up to us, we would quit before we even started. So there is something, and I just feel this. Remember hear that saying, ladies first? Apparently, God agrees. Apparently, God agrees. I think in the days to come, the influence and the power of godly women, moms, wives, grandmas, daughters, godly women is going to change the course of this nation like we will never imagine. We need men, of course. I'm a man. I believe that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, I would not be the man I am today if it were not for that woman. There's something in her that believes and found a way when I was ready to quit so many times. So Jesus goes to the women, and he tells them first. Then he shows up to Peter, and then he shows up to all three, all 11 of them. Look at the question he asked, verse 38. Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? The instant and immediate answer is this. Because we watched you get tortured on a cross. Because we, we saw them kill you with the spear. Why am I troubled? I watched them bury you in a tomb. Why does my heart doubt? Because they're hunting us now. Because we were with you. We are public enemy number one. Why am I troubled? Why does my heart doubt? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Because there's political upheaval in our nation. Why am I troubled? Because racism is rampant in America. Why does my heart doubt? Because our economy is on the verge of collapse. This question from Jesus is not a rebuke as much as it is an invitation to evaluate and be honest with why you're troubled and why you're afraid. You understand that, right? Jesus does this throughout all scripture. I feel like many of the sermons I've preached since we've started doing 116, this question comes up multiple times from Jesus. Why do you doubt? Why are you so afraid? Like he's asking all the time. It's not a rebuke. It's like a smile, an invitation. Like, hey, for real quick, let's get honest real quick. Why? Why are you really doubting? It's like Jesus is smiling like a, like a, like a really loving dad. Like, wait, why are you afraid again? John 16, Jesus poses this question and he answers for us. Here's what he says. He said, I have said this so that me you might have peace. Here's what he said. I'm saying this so that you will have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Why do you doubt? Why are you frightened? Tribulation. That's the answer you know. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this so that you'll have peace. You will have trials, and it will be hard, and there will be tribulation in this world. So just so you know, it's coming. And then he follows it up with, but take heart. I've overcome the world. There's a principle right here in Scripture that you'll find throughout Scripture. It's called the greater truth. Scripture is all truth. But there are truths that are greater than certain truths. Here's the truth. Jesus says it in the first thing. Here's truth, fact. In this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a truth. That's a fact. That's not a lie. It's not Jesus' opinion. That's not my thought. That's a fact. You know it. If you don't know it, you're two, and you'll know it real quick, right? Like, you know it. We're going to have tribulation. Truth. 
But then he presents a greater truth right on top of it. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So the truth is pain is real. You knew that. You've experienced it. The greater truth is the joy of the Lord is our strength. He overcame it. It's, an act, it's a greater truth. The wages of sin is death, right? Truth. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Greater truth. Do you understand that? Do, uh, maybe if I could be more practical, but like, okay, truth. You harm my wife, and that's terrible, but that's the truth. Greater truth. I bind you, and you regret that for the rest of your life, as short as it may be. You know what I'm saying? Like, truth, greater truth. This is Jesus saying, like, there is a greater truth that is taking place right now. So you say, why am I afraid? Why am I troubled? Because of the tribulation that is staring me in the face. And it's almost like God is smiling, like Jesus must have been smiling in that room. He's like, but I'm with you. So why would you be? I've overcome the world. Like anything you're dealing with, I'm greater than that. And I am with you. I remember when my son Caleb was um, just young. I think he was in elementary school. He was getting ready. He had to wake up early every day. And he was having a very hard time with waking up early. And it was, it was true. It was 6 a.m. every morning. Dude's in fifth grade. And so he just he's likes to sleep. And I'd go in and wake him up. And he'd growl. And he'd grumble. And he'd get mad. And, you know, I tolerated it for a bit, a week or two. And then finally I was just kind of had it with his bad attitudes. Like, oh, I hate waking up. I hate school. You know, he's just having a hard time. And although I understood, I needed to present him with the truth that he was going to have to face for the rest of his life. So I, I came in one morning. And I'm like, wake up. He's like, oh, and I, I whip off his blankets. I say, sit up, young man. And I sit down. I'm like, look at me. I'm going to tell you the truth, and you're going to take it in right now. You're going to have to wake up early every day for the rest of your life, so deal with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was feeling that too. I'm like, I'm dealing with it. You're going to deal with it. True. And he began to cry because <laughs> it was a bad dad moment for me. And he starts crying. He's like, I don't want to. I'm like, well, you have to. You're going to have to. Welcome to being a man. You're going to have to wake up every day, you know. He's like, oh. And then he goes, what do we do? Like, how do you do it? He was so honest. And I remember my answer was so honest. I was like, well, first, God helps us. So I'm going to pray for you. And then we drink lots of coffee, son. You know what I'm saying? And if I can just be honest, I feel like that's just the solution in life. Jesus and coffee. And so we prayed, and we went and got coffee. I'm, there's a truth but there's a greater truth. Truth is, you're going to have trouble in this world. The greater truth is God is with us. That's why he says, why are you afraid? Why does doubt fill your hearts? Okay, well, let's go back to Peter. Remember him? For Peter, he might say, well, that's good, Billy. I appreciate everything you're saying. But what about the people who uh, don't follow Jesus, or even worse, what about those of us who once did and then walked away from him, denied his existence? What about those of us who have betrayed Jesus, given up on God, given up on ourselves? Because this all sounds real good if we're all just in church, we're all just doing it, following hard after Jesus. Come on, he's with us. But what is... What is Jesus' response to those of us who have turned our back on him? That's what Peter might ask. I think he would. Do you notice when, well, I didn't read it, but it's in 24, when Peter 
it says it right here, and actually go, go to that verse if you'll show it, just so Luke 24, 34. When the two guys show back up to 11, it says this. It says, oh yeah, the disciples say to him, they say, hey, Jesus is alive. He's risen because he appeared to Simon Peter. So Jesus appeared to Simon Peter before he appeared to all of them. It's like he got a one-on-one with God. My first question is why? Because the last, the way things were left between Jesus and Peter was the ominous look in the courtyard the moment he denied him and backed away from God. And the rooster crowed. And then Peter went out and wept because he had messed up so bad. That's how it ended. And the next thing we know in Scripture, God's having a one-on-one with Peter. What do they talk about? I think I know, but I mean, we'll never really know. But it is telling, because then it goes on to say in a further verse in 24, verse 12, it says that when the women came and said, Jesus is risen, the guys didn't believe him. But Pete, Pete took off sprinting, sprinting to the tomb to see for himself, is Jesus alive? And then Mark chapter 16, verse 7, I love this. The angel rises and he says to the women again, it says, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is risen. Now, it's redundant. Scripture's not redundant by accident because it would have been sufficient to say, just go tell the disciples because Peter was a disciple. Go tell the disciples, I've risen. And now Scripture makes it very, very clear. Go tell the disciples and Peter because Peter probably needed a little more attention and emphasis that I still see you. Even when you give up on me, man, I will not give up on you. Even when you fail me after you promised you wouldn't, I'm still here. Jesus is down to talk. And so he shows up and he has a conversation with Peter that we know nothing of because it's between them two. But make no mistake, he was there for Peter, even when Peter was not there for him. Man, changes everything for me. If you've known me for any amount of time, you've heard me talk a few times, I don't think I can ever get away from that moment in my life where I had turned my back on Jesus. I did. I was 28. I knew a lot better. And my dad had died. And my faith had died. And my world came crashing down. And I said and did things that I'll never be proud of. And thinking of it now always brings me to tears. And I hated God. And it sounds so bizarre to think I could even say that because God has always been so good to me, but I hated him. And I didn't pray to him. And I did not talk to him. And I wanted to divorce my wife. And I flirted with suicide. And it's just such a dark, dark time. And I'll never forget when it all ended. Nine months. I mean, it's a miracle this woman stood by my side and I'll stand by hers forever for it. But I remember we were sitting in the car and I told her I'm divorcing her for like the 15th time. Our baby boys were, were infants and they were sleeping, thank God. And we were having this terrible, and she was like, I'm just gonna pray that Jesus talks to you. And I said, I haven't talked to him since he killed my dad. So I said, and it's true, I hadn't prayed a single thing. I had cursed at heaven. I hadn't prayed to heaven. I said a lot to God, 
I haven't listened one time. Not one time. I didn't care what God had to say anymore. And I sat in that car. And my wife began to cry. I'm so angry. I'll never forget, like in my mind, talk about talking to God, right? I just, in my mind, I'm like, all right, what do you want to say? Which is so arrogant. And if I had been God, I literally would just have smote me right there. So, I have so many more of you. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, what do you want to say? What are you going to say? So arrogant. And I wish it had been audible. Mine as well, Ben. It changed my life in a moment. It changed my life in a moment. I will never forget this. He said, Billy, I love you, and I forgive you. I had spent nine months telling him how much I hated him. But you love me? And I had not asked him to forgive me. I had not said that I was sorry. But Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, he loved us and died for our sins. And I remember it hit me. <laughs> like it's hitting me right now. And I just, I erupted in tears and I couldn't catch my breath. I remember thinking like, if you could love me like this, then there's hope. I could, I could love anybody, by the way. And if you could forgive me, you could forgive me of what I've done, then how can I not walk through life with, with a smile and a, and a mindset and a perspective that we're going to be okay? Because God loves us and he forgives us. So what do we do when we're not following Jesus or we feel far from Jesus? Because it makes sense that Jesus is going to be there when I'm there for him. But when I'm not there for him, the Bible makes it so clear in this passage that he is just as close to you as he's always been. He's not going anywhere. So whether I'm at the highest apex of the greatest mountain in my life or I am in the deepest, darkest, lowest valley, I still talk to Jesus. I still talk to Jesus because Jesus is always there. And then I wait and I listen. He's going to lead us. I believe that we will see the most innovative, most glorious days in the church and as followers of Jesus in the short few years to come that history has ever seen. You say, why? Because it has been so bad and it is about to get so good. Because God is in control. And right now it's just saying it. But we'll live it. And we'll follow Jesus. God is not caught off guard. There is no plan B, by the way, for the church or for your life. Can I just say that to you? There's no plan B. There's no contingency plan with God. He doesn't need one. He is the plan. He saw this. He didn't, he didn't ordain this, but he will orchestrate it. He will, oh, okay, we'll just, it's like, you know, that cool thing where they, you know, like, like it's a screen and they're just pushing, like, that's what God's doing. It's like, got it, got it, got it, flip it, flip it. I can't wait for 2021. I can't wait for the next two months of 2020, to be honest. I feel like it's just going to get better and better and better for us as a community, for the church at large, and for you individually. Yes, I've been away from Jesus, and I still talk to him. And yes, I've been on a mountaintop where everything's glorious. And in those moments, I still find time to talk to Jesus. He's always saying something. 
God, help us pay attention. Lord, I pray right now for every person that's in this room. I sense you. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for leading us in the midst of it. Thank you for your perspective. Lord, I pray right now that you would change our perspective. Everything we're looking at, everything we see, Lord, open our eyes like you did for those two men. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to see what you want us to see. Lord, I know that you might not change circumstances right this moment, but you could change the way we see it, and that will change everything. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that when we don't pursue you, you always pursue us. You're always there for us. That there is nothing we can do or think to separate ourselves from your love. Because it's not based on us. It's based on you. With every eye closed, I'm giving you an opportunity just in this moment. If you're in here and you want to give your life to Jesus, you say, I, I need to put my faith in God. I would love to pray with you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, be saved. Just believe in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Live it with your life. You'll be saved. You say, well, I don't, I don't know enough about it. That's the thing. You don't have to know everything about it. I've been serving Jesus my entire life. I'm 44, and I still don't know jack about all that God is. But I'll tell you what, he has changed my life, and it's the best decision I've ever made, and I don't know how people make it through this life without Jesus. He loves you. He's numbered the hairs on your head. Outside of God, it's grounds for restraining order. But when it's God, it's actually pretty compelling. He knows everything about you and he can forgive sins. Did you hear me? He forgives sin. No one else can do that. I can't forgive your sins. I can't exonerate you from the mistakes you've made. Jesus can, and he does. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here and you say, I, I'm put my faith in Jesus. Maybe for you, it's the first time. Or maybe you're like Peter. And you're going to do it again. And you're going to answer the question, when you feel far from Jesus, do you still reach out? I hope you will, because he loves you, and he's waiting. Count of three, if you're in here, say, Pastor, pray for me. Put my faith in Jesus right now. I would be honored. Just put your hand up, put it right back down. One, two, three, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up, put it right back down. I see it. Thank you so much. God thank you for forgiving us for our mistakes and our failures thank you for saving us thank you for loving us before we even loved you in this moment we put our faith in you we fix our eyes on you and we commit to follow you help us Lord on the hard days remind us when we're on the top of the mountain be with us and comfort us in the valley thank you for saving our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give a round of applause for people who prayed that prayer? Raise their hands.